Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. We've got a busy show today. We're going to hear from Jason Alexander, who you may remember was George Costanza on Seinfeld. He's going to be in town this weekend with the DSO. He's going to talk to us about his career and uh, what you'll see if you go to the DSO this weekend and catch his performances. We're also going to talk about a really cool event happening tomorrow at the Tuxedo Project, which is the community-based literary center that I started in my childhood home. There's a write-a-thon taking place there tomorrow all day. Come out and write to your heart's content. We'll also have Great speakers and workshops for folks all day there. But first, in this country, the line between amateur and professional sports is marked largely by the NCAA, the Association of Colleges and Universities, that governs the fields and courts and pools for collegiate athletes. And for a very long time, the assumption in college sports has been that players should not get direct financial benefit from playing. Scholarships and food allowances aside, there's been a long-standing bright line that prohibits college players from enriching themselves. But an NCAA announcement this week is going to change much of that. Student-athletes will soon be able to profit off the use of their names, images, and likenesses, something that pro-athletes have made a lot of money doing. There are also a lot of questions, though, about how this change will unfold on campuses across the nation and whether this is truly opening the door to the broader conversation about compensation for college athletes. That's where we want to start today. We want to unpack what's going on with the NCAA, and we've got two people who pay a lot of attention to these issues to help us do that. Michael Rosenberg is a writer for Sports Illustrated. Michael, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me on. Yes. And David Schwartz is president and CEO of DS Baseball, which represents professional baseball players. David, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Steve. I should also say that David and Michael are graduates of the University of Michigan. They are also alums of the Michigan Daily, the college newspaper where I spent my time learning to be a journalist in college. Uh, among the three of us, there is a friendship that stretches back more years than I might care to count. Uh, so, Michael and David, it's really great to have you guys here for this conversation. Michael, I'm going to start with you. Talk about how big a deal this actually is. We did see the state of California say earlier this year that they were going to allow athletes in that state to profit off of their names and images and likenesses. The NCAA seemed to follow pretty quickly and make that nationwide. Is this that first step toward a big conversation about compensating college athletes? Yeah, there's there's no doubt something is coming. And I think the NCAA's statement this week, which really didn't say much, at least was an acknowledgement of, hey, we understand the tide has turned here. We can't stop this. We just have to figure out uh, sort of how to get small victories and, and, and how this is going to look. I mean, this is this is a sea change basically from 100 years of, of college athletics and how they have operated or at least claimed to operate. And uh, there will be unforeseen consequences. There's going to be a lot of changes that we just don't, really know how this is going to look, but it's going to be very, very different. So, so I also wonder why the names, images, and likenesses sort of arena is the first step here. What is it about that particular end of this that, I guess, made the state of California feel like it was urgent and then made the NCAA feel like that was the appropriate first step? Well, Telling someone that they have to pay somebody, telling a the university they have to pay somebody to play sports for them, 
is, a, is an interesting argument. People will argue both sides of that. But saying for the NCAA or for, to say you don't have the right to your own name and face, I think really strikes a chord with people. And if you look at the Olympic model, most of those Olympians, they do get stipends from the uh, U.S. Olympic Committee, but they really make their money based on endorsements. And the argument is, hey, what does it hurt these schools? What does it hurt the NCAA to let these stars uh, make money based on their market value in endorsements? And so I think that's an easier first step. Uh, Even the people that want pay-for-play understand that this is a first step that makes sense. The people that don't want pay-for-play, a lot of them do acknowledge that this makes sense. But uh, it is complicated because, like everything else, uh, rules can be circumvented. They can be... um, undercut and and so that's that that's the question that the ncaa has to deal with is how do we get this to be about names images and likenesses and not really essentially a, a different version of pay for play uh david Steve, i think i think yeah, there's ahead. two reasons why you're starting with name uh images and likenesses w- one of which uh makes more sense to me than the other the first reason is that it's not going to cost the universities anything um it's a new revenue stream that doesn't exist now so the cynic would say they could start with letting players capitalize on their name, image, and likeness because it's not going to take away from all the revenue that they're generating already. Mm. Um, the second reason, which I think is a better one, is that because of Title IX, the federal law that says um, that uh, universities and other schools can't discriminate on the basis of gender, um, if you were to start paying players, it would be very difficult to just pay some of the players. In fact, it would probably be illegal under uh, federal law. But by allowing individuals to capitalize on their own name, image, and likeness means that some who are popular and uh, can command money on the market for doing endorsements or, uh, you know, doing product placements on their Instagram accounts, for example, Mm -hmm. some will make more money than others, but it will be a free market. So, you know, perhaps the quarterback on the football team can make more money than the person playing, you know, on the tennis team, for example. Hmm. So, so the big concern, I think, that people have or, or that colleges and universities say they have about this idea of paying players or, or, or allowing players to make money off endorsements and things like that is the, the idea that it somehow corrupts the sport. It corrupts the amateur nature of the sport and perhaps opens up, perhaps opens up the sport to other corrupting influences, that, that these are things that will somehow influence performance on, on the field. Uh, how, do you, how do you answer that, David? Um, I think that's nonsense. I mean, I think that, you know, the idea that um, – amateur sports is free of money um, was probably never true and certainly hasn't been true for decades. Um, These are billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industries where everybody is getting a piece of the pie except for the people who are producing the product that people want to watch. It is a completely unfair system where, you know, the people providing the labor aren't compensated for their labor. And yes, uh, the value of a scholarship is not nothing, but when you're talking about billions of dollars, um, it's just not right that the people who are a part of it aren't sharing in the wealth of it. Um, so, you know, I, I just, it, it's a quaint notion that money isn't going to corrupt uh, sports, but the truth is, I mean, you see it already. I mean, athletes aren't blind to uh, the riches that await them, certainly the star athletes and the revenue-producing sports. So, for example, you see a lot of college football players sitting out the bowl game 
because they don't want to risk injury right before the draft. Right. I mean, the idea that there isn't already money influencing what's going on in sports is just not true. Hmm. Uh, Michael, how are we likely to see this unfold over the next few years? Is this something that's going to happen quickly? And then we will sort of uh, quickly after that get to the bigger talks about uh, other compensation, or is the NCAA likely to slow walk this a bit? Well, they would, they would, I'm sure, like to slow walk it uh, until basically 100 years after they all die. I don't think they have that option. <laughs> this is going to happen in the next few years. And uh, again, it's a matter of the execution of it because I agree with everything David said there about, uh, and I think we need to kind of take the word corrupt out of it because the NCAA has defined what is corrupt and what is not for so long that it's been ingrained in our heads that <laughs> their rules are the rules and anything else is corrupt. And then you say, wait a second, the rules don't make sense. Why is that corrupt? The issue, and this is one thing that, that people don't really consider, is something like this. A college head coach can make, what, five, six, seven million dollars at some of these major schools, right? Mm -hmm. What if they own a company and they put four million dollars in that company and that money is then just pays a, a, an athlete? It, it, that's the kind of thing that would be considered you're paying them for their name, image, or likeness that the NCAA is concerned about. And there's sort of a greater philosophical question here. People watch college sports at least believing and often misguidedly that these guys chose those universities and they are students at those universities. If they chose those universities solely because they were getting a certain amount of money from a booster or from a company or whatever to go there, that would bother a lot of people in college sports. I think that would bother a lot of college fans. That doesn't mean it's wrong, but that's the kind of thing that needs to be figured out. We might just all adjust to it, and, and that's the way it goes. Um, but it's not as simple as saying, okay, some star is going to make market value. I mean, you're going to get uh, so many people using this uh, to pay players. And again, I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying it is going to be very different. Yeah, uh, so the, the, the kind of backdooring, I guess, of the kind of things that the NCAA has said were were big problems now. I mean, and, and again, the rulemaking here is, is going to be everything. How do you set this up so that you govern it in a way that those things maybe don't happen? Uh, David, I, I wonder if you can talk about from the professional side uh, of this, which, of course, a lot of college athletes have their eye on after they play uh, in, in at the collegiate level. What's the influence of something like this on your business, for instance, which is, you know, representing professional athletes? Um, I don't think it will change much in the way uh, agents for professional players work. I mean, if you look at uh, the recruiting that goes on, you know, I'm not a football agent. I'm a baseball agent. And um, in general, baseball players have a lower profile typically than, than college football players sure. or college basketball players. But the idea that college athletes aren't already talking to agents is just nonsense because, you know, agents are out there recruiting them. And um, really, these players should not only be able to capitalize on their own names, they should also be able to have representation to help them do that. Mm. And there is no reason not to let them do that. You know, have someone to, you know, figure out which deals make sense, how much to charge for them, and, you know, equally important, which deals don't make sense. So that, you know, one of the things that any professional athlete has to manage is his own time. So, you know, college students have a lot of commitments. If you don't, just because you can make money off of everything doesn't mean you should. And, you know, these players need advisors to help them through that process. Um, I also agree with what Mike said, that this is coming for sure. And, 
you know, it may be that it takes a few years. I mean, I, you talk about corrupt. I mean, the NCAA is one of the worst organizations I've ever seen. They are not in it for the best interests of the student. Hmm. They are in it for themselves because there are so many billions of dollars at stake. And so what I like about the California law, where it would require California schools to let um, their athletes make money off their name, image, and likeness, that is totally contrary to existing NCAA rules and would probably blow up the system. So what the NCAA is doing now is just damage control. They're going to do as little as they can, as slow as they can, to try to keep you know states like California from blowing up the system. And some of us are here rooting for the system to be blown up because <laughs> you're right, Steve, we do need some kind of oversight of how this is going to work, but the NCAA has proven that they're not the best group to do that. Hmm. You know, I, I do wonder, though, and this is a more of a philosophical question, so if you if you let athletes profit off of their names and their images and likenesses, and eventually you get to some sort of compensation model for kids who play at the, at the collegiate level, then what is the difference between that and the professional level of sports, and and is there is there a legitimate role in the conversation about this for the idea that this is supposed to be not just about sports, but also academics and the other things that are part of the college experience? I mean, if you wipe out the differences between those two levels, are you wiping out any hope that this is about anything other than sports and money? David, I'll start with you. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, even I, I don't think anybody is, is suggesting that um, schools should get in bidding wars to actually play, pay, pay players directly. Um, we're talking about ancillary benefits. The main benefits for, you know, 99% of the student-athletes are still going to be the scholarship, the tuition, the room and board. Um, and, you know, as an aside, you know, again, this is the idea of money coming in is not new. In fact, in recent years, a lot of big conferences, including the Big Ten, have added cost of living payments to players. So they're already getting paid something. But the main thing they're getting is, you know, it depends on the school, but, you know, $25,000 a year in free tuition. Mm -hmm. That's going to stay the same. We're talking only about extra money for a very few number of players who are popular enough that they can capitalize on that. I mean, if you are a student, for example, if you are a journalist at the Michigan Daily where we all worked and you have 100,000 Instagram followers and some company wants to pay you to do a product placement, there are no rules that limit your ability to do that. There are no rules for any you know college students who do that, whether they're musicians or something else. The only limits now in place are for athletes, and that not only doesn't make sense, it's not fair. Hmm. Uh, Michael? Well, one thing you have to kind of go back and, and, and think about when you're talking about it changing, is the Olympics. And for so many years, Olympians were not allowed to really profit off of what they did until after the Olympics. And everybody said, well, if you change this, if you professionalize the Olympics, uh, then all of a sudden it's going to be about money. It's not going to be about, you know, competing for their, for their country. Uh, obviously that happened. I mean, the dream team, 1992, the first time we had pros in the, in, in the Olympics in, in basketball, uh, these people are making millions of dollars, as Michael Phelps did. That didn't change the fact that they were competing and are competing for their country. So a lot of that kind of fear that people have is not going to manifest itself in reality where it, it really changes things. Right? The question is, um, can, how is this going to look, and are you going to look out there in the field and see a bunch of 
student athletes from Michigan or Michigan State, you know, student college students that chose that university, is that what you'll see, whether that's fair or not, or are you going to see a bunch of paid professionals? And and that's that's the question. And and I don't really, um, I think almost every athlete on some level will find ways to make money once this changes. I mean, whether it's just giving lessons, uh, whether it's signing autographs, um, whether it's in recruiting, uh, I don't think all the money is going to be really big for most of them. Uh, it's going to be different now, and, and, and there may be parts of it that people don't like, but I think we can all agree there have been parts of the system that we've had for all these years that most of us didn't like. So you're essentially replacing one system with another system. They're both going to be flawed, but I, I think this one will at least be fair. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to let Michael Rosenberg, writer for Sports Illustrated, go. He's got some other things he's got to go off and do. Michael, thanks very much for being with us here on Detroit today, um, but we're going to keep. You so much. Yeah, we're going to keep David Schwartz, president and CEO of DS Baseball, and we come back. We are going to take your calls about this issue. Is it time that college athletes start having an opportunity to receive some compensation for the things they do on the court and on the field? What are your thoughts on this? Did you play sports in college? Tell us about the level of dedication it required. Tell us whether you would have liked to be able to profit off of some of the things that you were doing. Do you have a child or family? member who's currently playing collegiate sports and what would you like to happen for them as always the number on the phones is 313-577-1019 we'll be right back with more detroit today This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is David Schwartz. He's the president and CEO of DS Baseball. We're talking about the announcement this week by the NCAA that it will move to allow college athletes in this country to profit off of the use of their names, their images, and likenesses. This follows a decision by the state of California to force colleges in that state to allow college athletes to do that. Uh, the NCAA is kind of catching up here and trying to make sure that uh, this, this happens on a uniform basis, I suppose. Uh, but this also opens the door to a much broader conversation about the way college athletes are treated. Are they to be compensated? Should they be compensated in ways that uh, are different than the way that they are now, which is mostly through scholarships and cost of living payments, uh, should they be able to make money off of the things that they do on the field or on the court? We really want to hear from you during this segment, and uh, we want to hear especially from folks who either played college sports, are playing college sports, or maybe have kids who are playing college sports. What do you make of all of this? What do you make of the current system and the way that athletes are treated? And maybe you think uh, the changes that they are announcing at the NCAA aren't enough, uh, that we ought to be talking about other things? Or do you think it's just fine the way college athletes are treated right now and that the access to these universities that they get in the form of scholarships is is the compensation that they deserve? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, let's start with Allie in Windsor. Allie, welcome to the show. 
Hi. Hey. Um, I'm Conley Yin. I was a former student athlete when I went to college. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an incredibly demanding process. And I can tell you it was definitely sports came first over school. Um, I do have a question. I don't think, I, I agree that students should be compensated for that kind of time and energy energy that they put in. But I think that uh, it will only benefit like the top three sports that actually generate uh, revenue for the school. So mm-hmm. football, basketball, baseball, maybe all of the other sports, I don't think will be compensated anywhere near just those sports. So I'm wondering in the future, is this going to lead to a trend of people just not playing sports like tennis, golf, softball, um, swimming, maybe sports that aren't generating profit. Is right. Right. Allie, uh, give us an idea of uh, what your college experience was. What, what sport did you play and where did you play? I played softball at Wayne state. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of personal information, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it was, it was really great experience. It was amazing for self-development, but um, it was also very confusing because I was there for school and um, I felt that the sport was ultimately just the biggest and most number one distraction from that hmm. purpose, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Allie, I really appreciate the call uh, and you sharing your experiences. Uh, David Schwartz, talk about the effect that this might have on the less popular sports, the ones that we don't see on television uh, every Saturday afternoon in the falls or, or, or other times during the, during the year. Um, you know, I think that it's, you know, I think Allie's right about one thing that this, you know, that the, the players that might make a lot of money from doing this are the vast minority. Um, but I don't think it's going to affect other student athletes at all. Um, you know, all of these athletes, including Allie, chose to play college sports, and they did it not because they were getting paid, but for all of the other reasons they wanted to do it. They liked competing. They were good at it. You know, it teaches them skills that will be valuable later in their lives. Um, you know, people aren't playing college tennis um, or college volleyball to make money they're doing it because they love it and none of that should change because you know the quarterback or the star of the women's basketball team is able to make a little bit of extra money Hmm. so i don't i don't buy the argument that somehow um this is going to destroy college sports you know people have for generations in fact college sports participation is increasing it increased dramatically with the passage of title nine in the 70s uh, which opened up college athletics to women that, you know, those avenues weren't available before. But, you know, you're certainly not seeing a downward trend in the number of, of young people who want to participate in college sports. And I don't think this is going to affect that at all. Hmm. I also wonder, though, you know, Allie was talking about the, the tension between the time she had to spend preparing for and playing the sport that she chose and the time she had to study to get through school. You know, it just kind of reminds me that the NCAA, I think, has a, a number of different problems, not just this question of compensation. And one of them is how uh, how much this is about student athletes uh, being actually students and, and completing school. And I think the compensation question 
has some bearing on that. In other words, uh, could they come up with compensation models that incentivized kids to spend more time actually uh, paying attention to their schoolwork or staying longer in school, which is an issue for kids, uh, especially at the Division I basketball and football? Uh, is that part of the conversation that they're going to have to have, I guess is the question. I mean, maybe. I mean, you keep going back to the idea that the NCAA is going to solve these issues when the NCAA doesn't care about these issues. They only (laughs) care about their bottom line. So, you know, anytime they're talking about, you know, the safety or the welfare of the student athlete, they're just paying lip service to it. At least that's my opinion of this. Um, But you have to understand, you know, like, I'm going to give you an example. I have a a good friend, um, and they have a daughter who's a senior in high school, and, you know, she is a top-notch field hockey player. Um, she purposefully chose not to go to a Division One field hockey program because she knew it would be all field hockey all the time, and she wanted to have more of a balanced student sports uh, experience when she was in college. You know, the people who are going to do this are not going in blind. And, you know, sometimes that's what you choose to do. I will point out that you and I, when we worked at the Michigan Daily for 60, 70, 80 hours a week all through college <laughs> – you know, we were doing that and our schoolwork kind of became second important after the paper. Um, it's no different for college athletes. And I'm not sure that a paternalistic system where someone says, hey, you're not allowed to do that is something that we need to do for today's 18, 19, 20 year old. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, my guest is David Schwartz, president and CEO of DS Baseball, graduate of the University of Michigan and an alum of the Michigan Daily, the college newspaper that I also worked for. We're talking about this idea of compensating college athletes. The NCAA says it will allow athletes to profit off of their names and likenesses and images. Uh, is that the opening the door to a bigger conversation about making sure that uh, college athletes get what they deserve, quote-unquote, maybe have access to the things that professional players have, or at least some of them, in terms of uh, compensation. Uh, Again, we want to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. We especially want to talk to current or former college athletes uh, about your experience and what you think about compensation, uh, or if you are the parent of somebody who is uh, playing college sports. Uh, Give us a call and tell us how that is going on your end and whether you think there need to be changes. Uh, Let's go to Brian in Belleville next. Brian, welcome to the show. Hi there. Hey. I lived down the hall from Derek Jeter when I was um, a freshman at U of M. Mm -hmm. He was there for one semester, and at most sports shops, you could buy a New York Yankees Jeter jersey and he would make money off of it but you could not buy a rose number four or a weber number five and have those two uh jalen rose or chris weber make money off of it right right i mean Um, and and that's the well that's the rule that they're they're talking about changing right right and it just it seemed to me it opened up a conversation about um i also heard them talking about instagram uh, early on, and how the Michigan Daily couldn't make money off of Instagram. Does does Facebook, you know, are they not allowed to use Instagram or Facebook and a Michigan jersey at this time? Hmm. Yeah, no, this is a, that's a good question, Brian. I appreciate the call. 
David, uh, he's talking about the time that uh, we were in school, in fact. What's an, e- what's an even more egregious example is that you could buy a Drew Henson professional baseball jersey right. after he signed for an enormous signing bonus, but he couldn't make money off of selling his college football jersey. Right, because he was playing um, you know, two that's sports. That's the same dichotomy where you don't even need to bring two different players into it, um, which you know, just shows the NCAA's hypocrisy. Yeah. Um, This idea of, again, someone like Derek Jeter deciding to go and and do what he was doing in in order to make money early again. I mean, I I know you keep saying that the NCAA doesn't care about anything other than 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 money. But what does get us to that conversation then about keeping these athletes uh, in school and making sure that they actually graduate. Is there a way maybe to, to, to tie compensation to, to that? Well, I, I don't know because, you know, if a player can make tens of millions of dollars by playing professionally, I'm not sure why it's in their interest or society's interest to require them or encourage them or force them or incentivize them to stay in college. Hmm. You know, when, you know, a, um, you know, a tech guru, you know, quits college so that he can found a company out of his basement or garage and then make billions. No one says, man, that guy should have stayed in school. Sure. I mean, you know, there are times when, um, you know, it it makes sense while you're in the prime of your athletic life to go capitalize on your earning potential. And, you know, you can go back to college when you're done if you want or if you need to you know, when your prime athletic days are over. So I'm not sure, you know, there are also institutional ways that, that uh, students are required to stay in school. You know, no longer can basketball players go straight from high school to the NBA. Right. Um, you know, in baseball, if you start at a three-year college, you're not eligible, eligible to be drafted until you've completed three seasons, three years in school. Hmm. So, you know, the pro sports leagues have already kind of put up barriers to entry um, that require people to go or stay in school for some period of time. Um, I'm not sure that I agree with all of those either, but those those rules are in place already. Uh, And I, I, you know, and just another, I don't want to lose sight of this. Yeah, go ahead. We're talking about such a small number of players that have the ability to leave school early to make a meaningful amount of money such that they do it. Sure. When you're talking about the vast, vast majority of, of NCAA athletes, you know, there is no next level after college. So they're not incentivized to leave early. And I'm not sure we need to have a whole set of rules that, you know, keep the, you know, the Rashawn Gary's at the University of Michigan from leaving a year early. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Ed in Detroit. Ed, welcome to the show. Uh, a number of decades ago, the uh, Hammock Athletic Union demonstrated that it simply could not manage U.S. participation in international sports, principally track and field. Mm-hmm. And Congress stepped in and set up a new structure, the structure we have today for managing participation in international sport. Is it time for Congress to recognize Mm. that the NCAA, as it's currently structured, may not be able to manage uh, intercollegiate sports in the current environment 
and we need a new structure. Yeah, Ed, to that's handle a handle that. That's a that's a really great uh, that's a really great question, uh, David. You have been in this interview quite critical of the NCAA and and pointed out that the 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 foundational problem there is that it's an organization that's about money and not about the athletes who are playing the games. Should we should we think differently about how all of that ought to be governed? Well, you know, I mean. <laughs> Maybe not quite as bad as as the NCAA as the U.S. Congress, but I'm not sure everyone thinks that that they're uh, the answer to everything. But I do think um, that they're part of the answer because the NCAA is not going to change on its own. Steve, you keep saying that this is coming. The NCAA didn't decide this is coming. They decided that they're going to look at it. Mm -hmm. And so the reason it's coming is because states like California – have put laws into place that you know will go into effect in a few years that will wreck the system if the NCAA doesn't take action. Um, I do agree with Ed here that one of the dangers of doing this on a state-by-state basis is that if you have different rules in different places and you're talking about uh, intercollegiate sports, um, you end up with a, a system that's unworkable. You need one set of rules that applies across the board. And so I do think that there is room for Congress to come in and do what states like California are doing and say, you know, we might not be able to dictate exactly how this is going to work, but an idea that you can ban uh, people from making money off their name, image, and likeness is, uh, you know, that's too far over the pale and you're not allowed to do that anymore, which will then force, uh, you know, colleges and the athletes to come up with a system that works and, um, and that works on a uniform basis across the country. Um, I think that this is whatever the next change is won't be the last change. I mean, there will need to be tweaks as we see how something works in practice. Right. I mean, I I can envision a system where there is uh, agreement among players and the universities as to how a system would work. Um, For example, perhaps it makes sense for all um, money making opportunities that come to players to be somehow routed through the university so that someone can make sure they're looking out uh, and make sure it's legitimate and make sure that the players are being protected, um, not as a way to limit what they can do, but a way to manage what they do. You know, one of the, this hasn't come up in this call, Steve, but one of, I think the, the, one of the only real criticisms that I've heard of allowing students to, to market themselves is the idea that you could have a rich program, mm-hmm. whether it's Michigan or Ohio State or Alabama, whether it's, you know, a wealthy basketball program, Wealthy women's basketball program, you know, like the University of Connecticut. It's not just men's sports we're talking about here, but you have wealthy programs with big boosters who could kind of create opportunities for athletes to make money that aren't legitimate. So you have the booster who says to the recruit, you know, you come here and I'll make sure that you earn $100,000, $500,000, a million dollars, whatever the number is. If you come here, I'll arrange quote-unquote signing sessions um, where you come sign your name a few times, and I'll guarantee you the money. This is a backdoor way of, of boosters paying players. And so maybe we need a rule that says people who have given money in the past five years to athletic departments are not eligible to hire uh, uh, football players or basketball players or other athletes to do these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we need to figure out a system so it isn't just a bidding war between the biggest schools. There already is a little bit of a bidding war, right? I mean, you know, universities like to, you know, make their facilities nicer and other things to do to try to entice athletes to come there. This would just be one more thing like that. 
Um, but I do think there needs to be some check because it shouldn't be just, you know, these no work. So, in the, you know, I'm, I'm going on here, but this is an important point, I think, Steve, is that, you know, in the old days, boosters would, you know, pay players for what are called no-show jobs. Right. You know, they own the car dealership. You know, they employ the athlete, and the athlete, come, you know, never even shows up but gets a paycheck. Right. And it's clearly just a backdoor way of paying players for work they didn't do. I think we need something that prevents that from happening. I'm not sure exactly what that is. But the problem of players getting too much money instead of too little, I'd much rather err on the side of that because hmm. this really ought to be about the athletes and not about the universities pocketing money from big TV contracts. Yeah. Okay, David Schwartz, president and CEO of DS Baseball. It was really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Well, thank you, Steve. It's yeah. a pleasure, always. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Up next, uh, we are going to hear from Jason Alexander, or maybe you know him as George Costanza Costanza from Seinfeld. He's in town this weekend performing with the DSO. Stay with us on Detroit Today.